Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. I do hope that you had an amazing Thanksgiving. Uh, the holiday season is officially here. If you've been paying attention on Facebook, uh, Shanna Height and I have had this like Thanksgiving Christmas war going on because she was singing Christmas songs on Halloween night, <laughs> right? And uh, so I've been like just casually dropping a turkey or two on her Facebook feed uh, to remind her what season it was, but Christmas season is officially and appropriately here now. And uh, I was thinking about it, I really do love the holidays. Like, uh, I love holidays so much that we host a a weekly game night at my house uh, most weeks, and I've actually made up things to celebrate just so that we kind of had a holiday. Uh, Like, we did a corn day. Remember that, like, TikTok corn song that came out? Yeah, so we just took that song, we played it on repeat, and everything was cooked with corn. That's because I love holidays, and I love having a reason to celebrate, but Christmas, I think, it is like the top, it's one of the best holidays. You've got all the twinkly lights, you've got all the music, you've got the winter wonderland scene happening, and it's amazing. But for where we're going uh, over this course of the next few weeks in the series, I was wondering if you've ever had a Christmas where it felt like the magic was missing. Like, have you ever had a Christmas where it, it was all happening, right? The stores fired up and you're getting ads nonstop and you're hearing the same songs over and over again. But for you, it just didn't feel like it was Christmas for, for whatever reason. I mean, I think all of us, if we look back a couple of years, right? Remember 2020 and how weird that Christmas felt because the world was like half open at that point. And some people were just like, free for all, here we go, it's Christmas season. And then some people were scared to walk out their front door. And, and I remember feeling like it was weird Because like the candy cane juggernaut fired up as usual, right? The stores were like going all out and and the mailers were happening. And if you walked through a mall, like it felt like Christmas. But then we were like trying to follow these guidelines and some of us couldn't be with our family members. And, And so it was this weird experience for me, I can remember, where it's like it looked like Christmas. It sounded like Christmas, but it just didn't quite feel like Christmas that year. And so what we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks is how do we actually celebrate Christmas? How how do we actually discover Christmas in the midst of the real stuff of life? In the midst of maybe those seasons or those moments where like Christmas is happening, but life, if we're honest, doesn't feel all that holly jolly. Uh, You may or may not know this, uh, but it's not just like holly jolly season around here, but there is actually a church calendar uh, where churches all throughout the world actually try and align what they're teaching about and and to celebrate and mark significant things. And this Sunday uh, kicks off a season in the life of the church known as the season of Advent. So like you can sing all the Christmas songs all you want, but, but in church world, the next four weeks are called Advent. And Advent is this period of four weeks leading up to Christmas Day. Uh, it literally means arrival or coming in Latin. And it's about the anticipation and the waiting for what happened at Christmas time. Yeah, it's these four weeks that in, are intentionally set aside where we all prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. And uh, if you don't know, or, or maybe you've forgotten, like prior to Jesus's arrival, God had effectively gone silent to his people for like four or 500 years. And so there was all of this waiting, all of this wondering if God was going to show up, if he was going to do what he promised to do. And so the point of Advent, the point of these next four weeks, is you're really supposed to feel the weight. Not like the weight, like heaviness, but like the waiting. The waiting for hope to arrive. The waiting for Christmas to get here. The longing 
for a rescue. And uh, last year, I actually came across a book that really shaped my thinking as far as the series goes and really around the season of Advent. And it's this book called Honest Advent uh, by Scott Erickson. Scott is an artist, an illustrator, and a painter, and kind of a spiritual director. And so what he did is he wrote uh, 25 short meditations that can last all throughout the season of Advent, uh, really with the intent to meditate on what is at the heart of the Christmas story. I love his little tagline. It says, awakening to the wonder of God with us, then, here, and now. So if you're looking for maybe a resource to extend what we're talking about on Sundays a little farther, I'd love for you to pick that up. Uh, it's a great tool, again, just in your own personal study. Uh, they're really short little chapters. But basically what Scott tried to do is he tried to meditate on the sacred story that's at the heart of Christmas. And there's tons of stories associated with Christmas, right? There's Rudolph, there's Frosty, there's Buddy the Elf, and what's your favorite color? But uh, at the heart of Christmas, if we don't slow down and pay attention to it, I think sometimes we can miss that this was like a real life real-world kind of story, that at the heart of this sacred story and the season that we celebrate together, it's a story about pregnancy and about family. And here's a big word we're going to talk about a lot. It's a story about incarnation, about being embodied, about God actually putting on a human body. It's about birth, and it's about God with us. And so I think Christmas sometimes this season can feel really odd because often uh, we talk about Christmas and if you've got little kids around especially, you probably talk about Christmas in terms of it being Jesus' birthday. Often we celebrate by uh, giving out cake mixes on Christmas services so that kids can go home and bake a birthday cake for Jesus. Last year I somehow ended up with like five cake mixes, I think because I was kind of being grumpy about it, like his birthday's actually in March, I don't know. But, but anyway, it's this thing we do, we celebrate it like it's his birthday, but often what we do when we gather together is we kind of treat it like a memorial service. You know what I mean? We say it's his birthday, but we do a lot of looking back. We do a lot of acknowledging what happened 2,000 years ago, but we don't necessarily expect to participate in that same story today, right here and right now in our real lives, which I think bumps up into one of the questions that all of us face. All of us, if we're honest, have questions as it relates to God, right? And maybe Christmas highlights that more than anything for you. Like, how is it possible that the God who made everything actually became this little baby. There's this mystery wrapped up in it. But I think for many of us, one of our deepest questions isn't necessarily, is there a God? But I think most of us wrestle with the question of if God is really here in the midst of all of this. It's not so much like, is there a God or somebody that started this whole thing or somebody in control of this whole thing? But I think many of us wrestle with the deep question, is God really here in the midst of your life and my life, in the midst of the mess and the ups and the downs that we all experience? Is Christmas a memorial service where we just look back, or is it a birthday party where we celebrate somebody who's very real and very present with us along the way? What I hope you can see over these next few weeks as we mark Advent and celebrate it together, as we walk through this series called Messy Christmas, uh, what I hope you can see is that the nativity the story of the birth of Jesus. It's not just meant to be a lawn decoration that we put out for a few weeks, but rather it's an invitation for all of us to understand that Jesus wants to meet us right where we are. That Jesus always wants to meet us right where we are. And maybe for you, right, if you dig a little deeper, you're excited for the season, but maybe life isn't as holly jolly as you would like. 
Like maybe there's something going on at work that just has you stressed out like crazy. Maybe you've got a new job and you're trying to figure out a new rhythm of life or maybe you lost your job. Those things weigh on us throughout this season. Maybe there's some kind of a health scare going on and you've got the diagnosis but you don't know the treatment plan yet and you're trying to figure out what that's gonna look like. Uh, Maybe one of your relationships doesn't look like you want it to look like. Uh, Maybe with a sibling or a family member that you're just not as close to as you once were. Maybe it's with your spouse and there's just conflict and tension in the midst of your relationship. Maybe it's something with your kids, right? And you're just like trying to keep up with them, but you can tell like they're kind of going a different direction and you're trying to get them back on the path, but it just, it feels messy. It feels complicated. What I believe is possible for all of us this season is that God with us, Emmanuel, can actually come into our midst right now in the middle of whatever mess you may be facing, that Jesus wants to meet you in this season. And so to start today, uh, I want to highlight on an aspect of the Christmas story that uh, it seems really obvious, but it's really incredible and really powerful and I think often overlooked in the story of Jesus' arrival. And that aspect I want us to spend our time on today is the idea of vulnerability. That vulnerability actually shows up in the midst of the Christmas story. And when I think about vulnerability, uh, I'm reminded of when I was first uh, starting college. I think I've told some of you this story before, Uh, but I used to drive a Pontiac Sunfire, just like every blonde-haired girl in high school. And I can remember I was driving uh, to Muncie, to Ball State, where I was going to college, and I did a really bad job taking care of that car because I was an irresponsible high schooler, uh, unlike my irresponsible 30-year-old self now. Um, But I I remember I was driving to school. I was almost to I-69, which is like the main interstate that gets you into Muncie. In fact, I had just pulled off the ramp, so I just got on to 69, and my car started smoking. It looked like this room, right? Like it was, it was sketchy, and I pulled over, and it was done. Like I don't even know what happened. That Sunfire just had its last stand, and I parked it on this side of the road, and I did what every responsible college freshman does. I called my mom and dad. And I was like, hey, I'm on this side of the road. I don't know what just happened, car's not running, what do I do? And so I remember my uh, dad actually called a tow truck for me, but for some reason he called one from Kokomo, where we lived at the time, and so I was an hour away from that. My dad said, hey, I'll drive up with you and we'll figure this out, okay, I'll come get you and get you to school. But he was an hour away from me, so I was just sitting there on the side of the road in my little tin can Sunfire, and if you don't know, like I-69 is busy, especially around that area. There's all these semis blazing past me. And every time one of them flew by, that little tin can car went, and I'm like sitting in there like, I hope I make it, <laughs> like sitting there for an hour. Uh, and then I can really distinctly remember once my dad got there and the tow truck got there, I can remember the image of my Sunfire, my first car, right? That thing that to me represented so much freedom and possibility. I remember seeing that thing getting pulled up onto that tow truck and driving away. And to me, I think maybe there's no better image of vulnerability than a car getting towed away. Because we don't think about this, but when your car suddenly stops working, you really appreciate having a car, don't you? Like, like when you're lost in the middle of nowhere, you're like, man, I'm so irresponsible. Every day I drive miles and miles away from my home, just anticipating that this car is going to work. And then when it doesn't work, you're just stuck. And you're out there and you're at the mercy of whoever is willing to help you. Vulnerability really means that you don't have protection or you don't have control. It's this kind of openness, but it's also kind of an intimidating thing. And I think for many of us, we don't really like vulnerability, if we're honest. Uh, Vulnerability, if you go down to like the actual origin of the word, it it comes from the idea of taking your armor off, that that you're exposed, that there's some risk involved in it. And so many of us naturally tend to resist it. But what I hope you can see today is that while that's true for many of us, we don't like feeling vulnerable. When it comes to our relationships, when it comes to real and meaningful connection, all real connection actually requires vulnerability. 
that you can't have deep and meaningful relationships if you're never willing to open up and you're never willing to be vulnerable. And this plays out in all kinds of aspects of life. It's true uh, maybe in your marriage, it's true in your friendships. Like at some point, all of the trophies and the accolades and the platitudes and your Instagram self eventually will fail. And what you're left with is the real you. And you'll discover the strength of your relationships when real you shows up, right? I think for many relationships, it's those vulnerable moments that actually lead to the deepest connection. When you go through something difficult together and there's no posing or no posturing, it's just you and your reality. Uh, this shows up in our relationship with our work. If you've ever been to a conference and you heard a story of somebody who's really like an inspirational leader, they probably were telling you how they did it, how they went from rags to riches or how they built their business or the incredible thing that they learned. But I would be willing to bet somewhere along the way in their story, there was some struggle involved. There was some vulnerability, there was some risk. And in fact, if they didn't include the vulnerability in the story, we probably wouldn't believe the story, right? Or at least we wouldn't find it all that interesting. Uh, there's a, a guy who runs a podcast. He's an author and a, a leader named Kerry Newhoff. And he has talked about this dynamic in this way. He says something to the effect that people admire our strengths, but they connect with our weaknesses. People admire our strengths, but they actually connect with our weaknesses, with our vulnerabilities. That when we're willing to be honest and open up, it actually is a prerequisite to real connection. And again, as I was thinking about vulnerability, uh, those of you who follow me online probably know that this is coming. Uh, I got a puppy this week, and I have to shamelessly share about that. Uh, so this is Penny the Bernadoodle. Um, she's adorable. She's a little floof, as I've been calling her. Uh, but I was thinking about where we were going today, talking about this idea of vulnerability. And man, that puppy is a puppy like eight weeks, just about nine week old puppy. And so we brought her home and she's peed everywhere because <laughs> that's what puppies do. And uh, she's like chomping on us all the time and nipping because that's what puppies do. And she's really easily scared. Uh, it, it's funny, this is gonna be the biggest dog I've ever owned. She potentially could be up to like 90 to 100 pounds. Uh, it doesn't look like it right now, but um, I was laughing because I, I took her out this week and. We were out in my backyard, and I haven't put up a fence yet. That was on the to-do list, and I got the dog first, which is a little backwards. But uh, I took her out, and we were standing there, and my neighbors next door have these two kind of crusty, yappy little chihuahuas. And so Penny, the will-be 90-pound dog, right, is sitting there, and these chihuahuas are just going at her, and she's terrified. And I'm trying to tell her, like, Penny you can sit on them in like a month, right? Like, like, come on, you're fine. But she's vulnerable, right? And she's in this state right now. She's a little baby dog, right? And, and she is so dependent on me and, and on Ashley and on Eden and on our family to figure out what her new rhythm looks like, what life really looks like. And, and I think vulnerability like that, it's scary to us because it's also so powerful, right? Isn't that the thing that creates the bond between us when you navigate vulnerability like that together? Vulnerability is the key to real connection. And as it relates to the Christmas story, I don't think that there is anything more vulnerable, there is no more vulnerable experience than the process of birth, of giving birth. I've never done it, okay? I've <laughs> been a part of it, I was there. Uh, there's nothing like it. There is nothing like it. And if you know someone or you've been with someone through that, uh, there's this crazy dynamic that we don't talk about every day, but it's happening every day for all of us because every single person that you've ever met, every human being has come into this world through an extraordinary act of human vulnerability. This extraordinary act of human vulnerability. And the ancient psalmist, 
Uh, Many people think that this is King David, uh, one of the kings of ancient Israel, who wrote this psalm. He talks about the dynamic uh, of the birthing process in a poetic way in Psalms chapter uh, 139. He, He says this. He says, to God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All of the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I I love that language. Thinking about uh, just the process of life actually happening. I mean, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are wonderfully put together. And only in recent days has modern science caught up with this poetic explanation that David was giving for what that looks like to bring life into the world. That, that it's like we're knit together, this intricate process over the course of months as this little life somehow develops. That intertwining that David's talking about, it, it's really about that relationship between a mother and a child. That there is this unique ancient secret, right? As long as there has been life, there has been this dynamic uh, where mothers and their children have this vulnerable relationship where the child is literally dependent on the mother to provide everything that it needs, nourishment and rest and energy and protection. Both of them grow together over the course of those months of pregnancy, connected at their vulnerability, connected at their need for one another. And the risks are real for bringing life into this world. I mean, if you don't know somebody who's struggled with this in some way, you probably will at some point. If you don't know somebody who's had a hard time with this whole aspect of life, you probably will. And with that in mind, I want you to consider this. What does it say about God that he is willing to be vulnerable with us like that? Like, what does it say about God that, that he's willing to enter our story through the statistical risk of childbearing in the first century? That that was how he chose to show up, who was literally connected to a human woman for nourishment and for safety for nine months, who was willing to wait and to grow in a human womb over that time, and who was fearfully and wonderfully made just like us. What does that tell us about God? Remember, real connection requires vulnerability because we have to be open to be known. And, And here's the incredible reality of what Advent is all about and what Christmas is ultimately all about. It's that the word of God, John uses that phrase when he writes about Jesus. He he says he was the word of God. He was like the reason and the order and and the God who was there at the very beginning. That the word of God was incarnated through human vulnerability. That idea of incarnation means that he was embodied, that God actually put on a human body. But he didn't just show up like mighty and armored up and 30 years old. He chose to go through the process just like all of us. He chose to show up through an act of human vulnerability. And isn't that fascinating to actually stop and think about? That the invisible, omnipotent God chose to start his personal engagement with us through vulnerability. That Jesus, as a baby, needed humans. That Jesus, as a baby, chose to be vulnerable. Uh, What does that mean for us? I think it teaches us a a few things that are really important as we're kind of kicking off this conversation today. Uh, One thing I think it can teach us is that human life is intrinsically valuable, that that human life in and of itself matters. I mean, God chose a human life as the vessel for him to present himself to the world, 
He chose to go through the process, and human life was valuable enough for Jesus to choose to enter into it, just like the rest of us. Human life was valuable enough. Like, again, he didn't skip to the later parts of the story, right? He went through the whole thing. He was a baby. He was dependent on his mother as he grew, and then eventually he was born, and and then he, like, had diaper changes or whatever they did in the first century, right? And and then, like, eventually he learned to walk, and he was a toddler, and he was probably bouncing around all over the place, and, and then he was in elementary school or whatever they did back then, right? And then he became a preteen. Can you imagine, like, the power of God in a preteen hormonal little rapping? I, I don't know. God bless Mary and Joseph, right? Uh, but, like, he entered into all of that, and he didn't have to do it. But he entered into it, and in doing so, I think he communicates to each one of us. And please hear me if you're doubting this this season. He communicates to all of us that your life is valuable, that human life is valuable in and of itself, that it's worth living the life that you've been given because Jesus chose to live a life just like one of us. And I think the other thing that we can see from this extraordinary act of vulnerability on behalf of God, it teaches us that Jesus chose to come in peace. Many of us along the way, for whatever reason, have picked up this idea that God is angry at us and that God's just eager to judge us, right? But if that's the case, why would he come onto the scene like this? Like if God was angry and judgmental and ready to just like punish us and put us in our place, he might have shown up like some of us think he looks like, like big white beard and armor and like lightning bolt ready to take you down. But he doesn't do that. Instead, again, he does this incredibly vulnerable act and he chooses to depend on us. And I think what that can tell us is that Jesus didn't show up to cast judgment on us, first and foremost, that Jesus didn't show up to alienate us or push us away, but because he chose to be vulnerable, Jesus showed up for connection. He showed up for relationship with us. There's this prophecy uh, from the prophet Isaiah, who is a prophet in ancient Israel, uh, where one time he talked about what it would look like when God's Messiah, when the guy who was going to come and set everything right, was going to show up. We read this verse a lot around Christmas time, but here's what Isaiah said, looking forward to this moment. He says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And again, for a second, maybe this seems obvious and I'm like harping on it, but I really want you to wrap your mind around it. Uh, Isaiah said that this baby born in a manger was Mighty God, that he was Mighty God in that moment. And again, when we think of Mighty God, I think we think of like the armored up, angry, huge biceps, lightning bolt Jesus, right? But that's not what Isaiah is talking about here. He says a child was given to us, a baby. And so what Isaiah is getting at is that in that moment, as Jesus was growing in Mary's womb, as he was a little infant, just trying to make it through in a really difficult world, he was mighty God as a dependent little baby, as a vulnerable little baby. And there might be some bad news coming with this. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but vulnerability is just kind of baked into life. Like in Jesus choosing to take on a human life, he inherently chose vulnerability. I've heard it said in this way that life essentially begins and ends with diapers. (laughs) I've heard it said more crassly too. But like for for most of us, uh, like you're born vulnerable. Babies are, are so vulnerable. They need care from somebody outside of themselves. They can't do anything on their own. And then eventually over time, uh, we go through the vulnerable act of learning. We do the whole potty training thing, right? And, and then eventually we start learning some more advanced stuff and you get training wheels on the bike and you're starting to figure that out. But it's this process. As we're little, it's so vulnerable because we're just dependent on other people to teach us how to navigate the world that we live in. I've ran into this with Eden this week with, uh, with the puppy around with Penny. Like, 
she's a puppy. She's jumping on Eden, and she's like Eden-sized when she's on her hind legs. And so Eden's like thrilled that there's a dog in the house, but when she's jumping, she's like, I don't like it. <laughs> I have to teach her, like, the dog likes you. That's the whole thing that's happening here, right? And you can put her down. But I have to teach her. And Eden, in that moment, she loves the dog, but she feels vulnerable, right? Because learning how to navigate life is a vulnerable thing, even at a little age. Eventually, you get into elementary school, you learn some more stuff. Then puberty hits, and it's like you thought you had figured it all out, but it's like the whole toddler process all over again, just in teenage form, right? It's like the rules have all changed, and now we're figuring that all out again. Uh, then eventually, you get to young adulthood, but there's still vulnerability in pursuing big things like love and relationships, figuring out your career path and what you ultimately want life to look like. Eventually, you get to your 30s and your 40s, and there's vulnerability in it because there was all that hope and potential at the beginning, but then eventually you start to see some of those things in life not pan out the way that you expected, right? You see relationships fail. You see jobs not go the way that you thought they would go or, or whatever it may be. Circumstances show up in life at that point. And, and I haven't gone much beyond that. Okay, that's about where I'm at right now, but I've heard, and actually I've started experiencing this part, that your body kind of starts retiring early. <laughs> like you hit 30 and you start writing checks that your body can't cash and then your back sore and then it only like keeps going or so I've heard. And then here's the bad news. Eventually you end up dependent again if you live long enough, right? Eventually you end up vulnerable again. And so vulnerability is just baked into life. And that is what mighty God chose to enter into, right? That is how mighty God chose to show up on the scene. And what that tells us is that Jesus is mighty not because he overcomes hardship, not because of the power that he displays, but because he chose to participate in it with us. That, that Jesus chose to participate in the hardship of life with us. He chose to be vulnerable. The Apostle Paul later, as the church movement was beginning to move, uh, he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, reflecting on that dynamic, that mighty God showed up in a human body. And here was his instruction to those Jesus followers. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness and being found in his appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love the way that Paul puts that. It's one of my favorite verses because it captures this mind-blowing reality that the invisible, everywhere present, created everything God chose to put on a human body and chose to humble himself, to be one of us, to experience life like we experience it. But the thing that Paul's getting at here is also that the incarnation, that the embodiment of Jesus, it's not just a one-time event that we look back on. It's not just this one-time event that happened thousands of years ago but what Paul is getting at, and what I hope you get today, is that Jesus can be incarnate here and now. Jesus can be embodied here and now. Jesus wants to show up in the midst of whatever you're facing today. And what Paul is essentially getting at here is that when we take on the mindset of Jesus, in this really remarkable, kind of mysterious way, we incarnate Jesus' likeness. We put on the likeness of Christ. Right? We put on the image. We have the same mindset as Jesus. And when we do that, we actually invite him in to our reality, whatever that reality may look like. And I hope you've gotten the point so far. We're going to talk about it more over the next few weeks. That whatever your Christmas looks like, whatever Advent looks like, these next four weeks, it's probably chaotic. Right? You probably have a lot to do and not a lot of time to do it if you're like me. Whatever that is for you, 
Jesus can enter into your mess. Jesus wants to enter into your mess. He wants to meet you right where you are because that's what he did at Christmas. He showed us how far he would go to connect with us, the length of vulnerability he was willing to show. And so the big question for us, it's not, is God willing to connect with us? He already put that on display by showing up as a vulnerable little baby and living life like one of us. But I think the big question for us as we're kicking off this Advent season is are we willing to do the same? Right? The question isn't, is God willing to connect with us? Is God willing to show up for us? The question is, are we willing to show up for him? Do we really want to connect with him? Because vulnerability is a prerequisite for meaningful connection. And we said this earlier, but I think there's a second half that we can attach to it, that the incredible miracle of Christmas, that the power of this season of waiting that we're in is that the word of God was incarnated through human vulnerability, but we can connect with Jesus through the same human vulnerability. That, that Jesus showed up in a vulnerable state and for us to find him in the midst of whatever mess you may be in, it's gonna require some vulnerability from you too. It's gonna require some openness to God. And, and man, we hate doing this. <laughs> like everything in us, because maybe because we're Americans or we're just raised in it or I don't know, we hate being vulnerable. We hate feeling like our guard is down and our, and our armor is not on. But if you want a real meaningful relationship with people and with God, you've gotta get vulnerable. And I think what that can look like this season, maybe between you and God, you need to spend some time just admitting what you don't know. Right? Admitting what you don't know about your current reality. Admitting what you're not in control of. And we don't like talking about that, right? We like to hold on and, and pretend like we've got it. But maybe you need to acknowledge your need for God this season. You need to be vulnerable to, enough to say, like, God, I don't have this. Right? I, I don't know where it's going. I, I can't explain what I'm facing. Or maybe I, I see it coming and I don't feel ready for it. Maybe you need to get vulnerable with God and you need to open yourself up in order to find him in the middle of your mess. That poem uh, that we looked at earlier, written by King David, talking about the miracle of birth. There's actually a, an ending part to that poem as David's reflecting and singing and praising God for the miracle that he's fearfully and wonderfully made. At the end of Psalm 139, David says this to God. He, he makes this his prayer. And maybe for you, this could be your prayer this Advent season. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And, and look, I'm not gonna go through all the details of the story, but when David wrote this Psalm, many scholars believe he was caught in the biggest sin of his life. He had made the biggest mess of his life. And as he's reflecting about that, he opens up to God. Like he knows he's a mess but he has the courage to say, God, search me. Okay, find all of the stuff that's in there. Find my anxious thoughts. Find my offensive ways. You can have it and you can meet me in it. David had the courage to be vulnerable. And because of that, we know him as a man who is after God's heart. He had the courage to be vulnerable. And he also had this deep connection with his heavenly father. And the same can be true for you. And the same can be true for me today. But what it takes at the beginning of the season is we have to actually invite God to meet us in our vulnerability. We have to open up to God. We have to be willing to admit our need. And when we do so, we can see all throughout scripture that God promises to draw close to us when we open up to him. That God promises to meet our needs in his power when we open up to him. But it starts with that act of vulnerability. There's a famous painting uh, that often shows up around uh, Christmas Eve because it's called 
Merry Christmas Eve. It's kind of a play on words. Uh, but Scott Erickson, the painter I was talking about, uh, actually did a take on this painting, and it looks like this. It's a painting of Eve, right, the mother of all humanity, the one who got this whole story started, meeting Mary, the mother of Jesus. A and it's this powerful image if you really stop to think about it because these are two mothers, right? Eve, who started the whole thing, and then Mary, who had the privilege and the honor of carrying the Savior of the world. And can you imagine what their interaction would have been like when they had this meeting? Eve, I can imagine, carrying the shame of what happened in that story, right? The, the shame of the fact that the world was broken, and yet meeting in Mary the powerful vulnerability of hope on its way, the powerful vulnerability of a mother willing to do it again, right? Willing to risk herself, her own body, her own safety to bring hope back into the picture. It's an incredible thing, the knowing between these two mothers, but also the undoing of the curse for all of us, the hope that can shine through. It only shows up in our lives if we're willing to be just as vulnerable, if we're willing to invite God in to whatever mess we find ourselves in this season. So let me pray for you that you could do that. God, vulnerability is uh, maybe a simple thing, certainly a powerful thing, but it's also a difficult thing for so many of us. I mean, for whatever reason, it seems like the longer we live on this earth, the more we want to wall ourselves off and armor up and, and protect ourselves. But God, I pray this season, as we, in another year, await your arrival in a fresh way again, I pray that you would open us up to be vulnerable with you. That whatever life looks like, whether it's amazing and we want to celebrate everything or whether it's incredibly difficult in ways that we don't even talk about, I pray that we would bring that to you. That we would offer vulnerability back to you because you modeled vulnerability to us when you chose to enter into our story as a, as a little baby, dependent on humanity. God, thank you for your character that's on display in that simple but incredible act. And God, help us this week to take this from just something that we know or something that we think about and make it something that impacts us in a deep level. Maybe make it our prayer this week that you could search us, that you could know us, and in so doing that you could meet us right where we're at this season. God, thank you for the miracle of God with us that we remember and we await this season. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.